Thank you for listening to the Lucy Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about us or to find other sermons and resources from us, visit our website at lucybaptist.com. Tonight we'll be looking at Matthew 5, just one verse, verse 4, um, and I'll read it for us. Uh, verses, I'll read verses 1 through 4, and then we can, we can get started. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so Jesus, um, this is within the Sermon on the Mount. And so this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And what he's doing in the Beatitudes is that he's describing what it means to live as a citizen in the kingdom of God. Uh, Even in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, we see that Jesus goes throughout all Galilee in 4.23. It says, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God. We know that the kingdom of God is is where Christ reigns, and the king was there. And so uh, the king had arrived. We know that the ministry of John the Baptist was to prepare the people for Uh, The kingdom of God, repent therefore because the kingdom of God is at hand. So Christ appears on the scene and He is the King. And so what Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes is explaining what it looks like to live as a citizen in that kingdom. That is what characterizes people who are kingdom citizens. That would be you and I, followers of Jesus. He's declaring what it means to be his follower. And what Jesus does in the Beatitudes is that he really destroys the the preconception as to what the Jewish people thought that the kingdom would be about. Um, The Jewish people expected the Messiah to come in and do what? Overthrow Rome. It was going to be a military kingdom. It was going to be external. It was going to be economic. That's right, they wanted an earthly kingdom. And Jesus comes in, and the very first words out of his mouth are, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are poor in spirit. And so he's making clear, not not only is he destroying the preconception of the Jewish people as to what the Messiah would do and be, but he's, he's declaring that his kingdom is not of this world and doesn't operate on worldly principles. In fact, in coming up in 1 Corinthians, we're going to see that, uh, that God takes the, the wisdom of the world and shames it with the foolish things in the world. And so we understand that these beatitudes are spiritual in nature. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, he's not saying that there's, um, there's no inherent blessedness in having no money and being poor, but he says specifically in spirit that these are spiritual truths. These characterize those in the kingdom of God. And so not only is it characteristic of those who are in the kingdom of God, it's really a way to enter into the kingdom of God. 
As we're going to see, Jesus doesn't just lay out these beatitudes in a random order, that there's a progression to them. And so he begins uh, chapter 5. Let's look at verse 4. He says, Blessed are those who mourn. And so the word blessed is makarios. In the original, it just essentially means happy. And so the ironic nature tonight of happy are the unhappy. Happy are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. It means fortunate, blessed. Uh, it's a spiritual contentedness and joy in Jesus alone. John MacArthur writes about Makarios that it's this divine pronouncement, the assured benefit of those who meet the conditions that God requires. Or Warren Wiersbe says this about Makarios, about being blessed. He says this word was typically not used for humans, that it described the kind of joy experienced only by the gods or the dead. He says, blessed implied an inner satisfaction and sufficiency that did not depend on outward circumstances for happiness. And so it's an inward contentedness and happiness that does not depend on external circumstances or material possessions, blessedness. And it's, a, it, it's good for us to know that God wants His people to be happy, right? He, he wants us to be happy according to how He defines happiness, happy in Christ alone. Well, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Mourn. We understand uh, that word just to be communicating a sense of lament, right? When you mourn, you're upset about something. Blessed are those who mourn. It communicates, it was used, really, the word was used to communicate like a loud mourning or a lament when somebody died, like a lament of someone who would have lost a loved one. It's lament for the dead or a, a severe painful loss. Um, and so it, it, can, it also communicates the idea of a manifested grief. So it's not only something that's happening, happening internally, but it's manifested outwardly. Blessed are those who mourn. It's the same word used in the Old Testament when Jacob tore his clothes thinking that his son had been had been killed, that Joseph had been killed. Um, as we mentioned earlier, though, this principle of mourning is not just a mere worldly mourning. It's not the mourning that happens when we lose a loved one. It's not the mourning ha happening when we lose a job or we're sick or we have financial troubles or common, common ailments that come with living in a fallen world. But this mourning is directly connected to the first beatitude. As I said before, and commentators and scholars have understood that Jesus doesn't randomly select these beatitudes, that they build on one another. And so the mourning that is happening is in light of the first beatitude, which is our understanding of our spiritual bankruptcy before God. And so that's the type of mourning that Jesus is talking about. God uses a word that was typically used for, for when people lose a loved one this morning, and He says that is the quality of response that should happen in our life when we understand our spiritual brokenness before God. 
It's, it means that when we come to an understanding of our sin, what sin is, who it's committed by, who is committed against, should produce in us a response before God. It's an appropriate response in light of who God is, who we are, and what our sin is against Him. And we understand that the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us in John 16, that one of the roles of the Spirit is what? Is conviction of sin. John 16, 8. He will convict the world uh, concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. We even see this exact response kind of throughout the Bible. What does Isaiah do in Isaiah chapter 6? When he understands his sin before God, what does he say? He says, Woe is me, I am an unclean man who live amongst an unclean people. He did, yeah. Luke 18, we have the Pharisee and the tax collector, that parable that Jesus told. One man was proud in the presence of God, but the tax collector would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he manifested that inward grief by beating his chest. And he said, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. And this is the the response, really, of Paul as a Christian in Romans chapter 7. He goes through that scenario that I'm doing the things I don't want to do. I do the thing, the very thing I hate. I don't do the thing that I desire to, to do. And he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And so that is the morning that Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, blessed, happy are those who mourn over their sin. Happy are those who mourn over their sin. And there are many responses that we have to our sin that, are, that don't honor the Lord. We can ignore our sin or we can justify our sin or we can kind of downplay our sin or sweep our sin under the rug. But Jesus is saying here that the appropriate response and the response that is, is characteristic of God's people is one of brokenness and mourning. Mourn is in the present active tense, which means that it would be a continuous action even in the life of the believer. So not only do these Beatitudes explain what it takes to enter into the kingdom of God, you must know your spiritual bankruptcy. There must be a brokenness in your life over your sin, but it doesn't end there. We know that as a Christian, that same spirit that initially convicts us of our sin now indwells us. And Romans 8.13 says that the spirit helps us to put to death the deeds of the flesh as we grow in Christ's likeness. And so not only do we mourn at the beginning, but this should be a true characteristic throughout the entire life of the Christian is that we're continually mourning over our sin. It doesn't mean that we're a killjoy or that we're never jovial or that we can't have a good time or that we can't laugh. But when it comes to our sin before God, the Spirit just continually does that work of repentance and brokenness. But each beatitude is met with a promise. And Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, mourn over their sin. He says, for they shall be comforted. So there is a promise for those who mourn over their sin, and it's comfort. It's comfort. Comfort comes after the mourning. Thomas Watson says, we might as well expect a crop without seed as comfort without mourning. This is that godly sorrow, godly repentance that ultimately leads us to God. 
Thomas Watson also says this about this verse. He says, Gospel mourning sends the soul to God. And he gives the example in Luke 15. He says, When the prodigal son repented, he went to his father. I will arise and go to my father. And what is so seemingly odd in our repentance is that, not really odd, but maybe something that we would not expect, is that there's this fear that when we confess our sin or we have to deal with our sin before God, we're mourning over it, having to go through just the trenches of repentance and bringing it before the Lord. We assume that God is going to meet us in that place with judgment, but He doesn't. He meets us there with His mercy. And that's the promise here. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And after the heavy hardness of mourning, God leads us beside those still waters. He comforts us. And the same Spirit that convicts us of our sin, that leads us to mourn over our sin, is the same Spirit in John 16, 14, that says, He will glorify me. And so we're comforted after mourning over our sin because we understand the person and work of Jesus. Is that we can be comforted in our sin because Jesus was afflicted for our sin. It's that promise of 1 John 1, 9. That if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to cleanse us and forgive us of all unrighteousness. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So I'm going to close us in prayer. And I'll ask Brother David just to lead, lead our prayer time. If you found this message helpful, check us out at lucybaptist.com where you can find other resources or learn more about our church. We hope and pray that this message has helped you grow in your knowledge of God and in your relationship with Him.